So we've got a, a, a pretty hefty topic today, one that's made me kind of anxious, preparing for. So I thought maybe we just have some fun before we really dig into this baggage. Sound good? All right, so play along with me. I'm going to need your interaction in this. Let's, let's have a little bit of a this versus that. And you're going to tell me which is greater, okay? So let's get the first one on the screen. <laughs> and we all know the right answer for this one. So if you're for the Aggies, raise your hand. Okay, versus Longhorns, raise your hand. I know who my friends are now. <laughs> Go Aggies. All right, let's do another one. Maybe this one won't be as divisive. We all know the correct answer for the next one. If you're a Texan, you know the correct answer is one of these. If you're all for Whataburger, raise your hand. There's my true Texans. Okay, in and out. All right, we, we've... Texans, we may have to admit, objectively speaking, In-N-Out is more consistent, but Whataburger is our burger. It is the burger of Texas, unless you've been to Tex Burger, which seems to do a little better, but that's a whole other subject. All right, how about this next one? Beatles or Rolling Stones? Who's, who's for the Beatles? Ooh, Rolling Stones? Ooh. I didn't see any of the younger people vote, so let's get a real competition up here. Beatles versus BTS. If you're for the Beatles, raise your hand. If you're for BTS, raise your hand. If you don't know who BTS is, raise your hand. Oh man, we've really divided the room. Come on, BTS. All right, one more, here we go. Who would win in a fight, the Mandalorian? Or Batman? If you think Batman, raise your hand. If you know the correct answer, if you think Mandalorian, raise your hand. If you're my friend, all right. One more, one more. Please don't raise your hand. I need, I need to address... The elephant and donkey in the room. It is so easy to divide you guys. It's so easy to be divided. Today we're going to talk about one of the most divisive things in America right now. Politics. I've never been so anxious before a sermon. Matt asked me to close out our series on baggage and to do the last sermon in the series on politics. And for the past two weeks, I have been an anxious wreck. I've called, I think, no less than six other pastors asking them, how would you handle this topic? Oy vey. I felt that no matter what I said... I would end up stirring the pot. I would create us versus them, you versus me, me versus you. So before I get any further talking about this burdensome, anxious baggage that we carry with us, politics, before I go any further in that, I want to do my favorite thing to do, and I think it was Paul's favorite thing to do, and that's to unite us in Christ. Let's remember where we're coming from, because we talked about Ephesians 2 not that long ago, 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. You are right with God. You are right with him 100%, not because of anything you have done, but because of everything Christ has done for you. His life, his death, his resurrection, his righteousness for you. When you were baptized, he put his name on you. He is your king. There is nothing you do while on this earth to earn your salvation. That includes the way you vote, the memes you share, the t-shirts you wear, the signs you put in your yard. None of them have any bearing on your relationship with your father, your king. They may affect your relationship with others in the body of Christ and your neighbors, but they have no bearing on your salvation. Our identity is grounded in Christ. And yet, we constantly are dividing ourselves and creating divisions with others. If we are truly honest with ourselves, Tears for Fears is totally right. Everybody wants to rule the world. And if not the whole world, they want to rule their own little kingdom, their own little slice of the world. We are so protective of our power, our control, our belongings, our wealth, our pride, our tribe, and I would argue our self-made identity. We see anyone in anything that we don't or can't control as a threat. A threat to our power, our safety, our pride, our identity, our politics. We need to go ahead and face the truth that politics is baggage. And it's baggage that we think will fix our other baggage. All the baggage that we've talked about up to this point, money, family, race, work, we fall into the trap of thinking the thing that will fix that burden is another burden. And then we seek it out. We watch TV, we watch the news, we listen to the radio, and we heap on more political baggage onto our shoulders, and then we take that baggage and multiply it by sharing memes and mean jokes and telling lies and putting on blinders. We pastors are sometimes uniquely guilty and gifted in this, stirring the pot from the pulpit and shoveling piles of political baggage and burdens and anxiety onto our congregations in the name of some supposed war. A war against other people, institutions, political movements, a war against culture, a war against flesh and blood. But this is not what Scripture says we are at war with. Most of the pastors I talked to just pointed me straight to Paul and his epistles. And that's our reading today. In Ephesians, Paul is very 
clear about who we are actually at war with and how we fight that war. In Ephesians 6, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor that God supplies, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. First off, whose strength is it? Is it yours? It's God's. And it's not your armor. It's his armor. He goes on to say, For we do not wrestle against human opponents, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. My mother, who's here today, was a 1980s Lutheran mom who worked in a Christian school and attended church faithfully. And as such, she did everything she could, everything in her power, to keep me and my siblings from being obsessed with war and violence. Went so far as cutting the guns off of my plastic cowboys and Indians, and then they would just have stubs or arms that I would pretend are guns, but, you know, she did her best. Despite all that, I was obsessed with medieval culture, obsessed with castles and knights and medieval weaponry. And for my seventh birthday, I really wanted a medieval birthday party. And my mom relented, but she found a way out of tin cookie sheets and put red duct tape crosses on them. She bought us inflatable swords and made armor out of tin foil and then explain to us about the armor of God and how we don't war with other human beings. So me and all my buddies put on our armor and we went out to the backyard and we beat the crud out of each other. <laughs> our battle is not with each other. It is not with institutions. It's not with political parties. It's not with the culture we live in and are surrounded by, it is with the spiritual forces of evil, not flesh and blood. I still act like my first grade self. I play at putting on God's armor. And then I go to town on all of my perceived enemies, wielding God's sword against people. I forget that it is not my armor, and I forget who my enemy is. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. Therefore. You take up the whole armor of God not because you're fighting human beings and institutions, because you are fighting spiritual darkness. Spiritual forces. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Firm we must recognize that there is a deeper spiritual component going on in order to take up the whole armor of God. Paul goes on to say, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. To hold all this armor in place, we wear not our truth, but the truth. And where do we find the truth? Outside of ourselves, 
outside of institutions, outside of political parties, outside of our leaders, and in Christ, the truth. It holds everything in place. And then we put on a breastplate to guard our hearts and all of our internal organs, all the important stuff. We put on a breastplate of righteousness. And don't kid yourself, it's not your righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, all of his perfection put on you. Because if your breastplate was your righteousness, it's like wearing cheesecloth. Maybe comfortable. But if you took an arrow with that on, it'd go straight through. You have no hope if the armor you wear is your own righteousness. How often do we turn this into that, though? And then, what do we walk in? Shoes of war? We put on boots of the gospel of peace and walk in peace. Paul is doing something really kind of cool here. He's playing with irony. See, the Roman Empire was pretty obsessed with war. And we're going to talk about it in a moment, but Paul was a political prisoner at this point. And there were Christians, there were believers who thought that when the Messiah would come, he would be like a general, a politician. He would wage war against the Roman Empire. But it was a reversal, wasn't it? And so Paul is using war language not to get us all riled up against other human beings, but to show that we do something different. We walk in the gospel of peace. He goes on to say, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I like the translation I used up there, the sword that the Spirit gives you. I want you to notice something. None of these things are something you muster up yourself. Your faith comes from outside of you. Your salvation, you don't have a single part in it. It's all accomplished by Christ. And the sword of the Spirit, it's not your sword. And you can't help but think of Christ in the desert being tempted by the devil and what does he use as his weapon the word and we need to remember that's what we use that sword for against the devil we don't wield it to damage other human beings it's not even our sword In verse 18, Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What do we actually do for the human beings in our lives, the institutions in our lives? We pray for them with a specific purpose in mind so that they will know the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are right with God, not because of anything they have done, but because of everything Christ has done for them. We pray that their identity will be rooted in the gospel in Christ, and we pray that ours will do the same. And this is what Paul is concerned about. He hits it home in the next verse, 19, and also pray for me. 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, in this moment, is not telling his congregations to put on actual armor and fight the Roman Empire. He has every right, every reason to ask them to do that because he is unjustly being imprisoned in Rome. He is a political prisoner at this moment because preaching the gospel is political. It is a threat to anyone who would hope to hold to power on this earth by misusing your identity. Preaching the gospel is inherently political, and it is the political act that Paul is in prison for and the one that he's asking them to pray for him to have more opportunities to do. He does not ask for prayers about getting out of prison. He does not tell his followers to put on actual armor and come and get him out of the jail cell. He does not even ask for money to help with his legal causes. He has every reason to tell them to use every political tool they can to get him out of prison, but he asks for them to pray that he has opportunities to share the gospel and that he does it faithfully. This is who we are called to be. Not soldiers in some political, social, or cultural war. We don't have to worry about ruling the world or who appears to be ruling the world. We put on the full armor of God to battle the spiritual forces of evil with the truth of the gospel, with the peace of the gospel, and for the sake of the gospel, while armored in Christ's righteousness for you. You are free from the baggage of politics because your identity is rooted and found in Christ alone. You are not tied to a political party. Your righteousness before God does not depend upon the leaders that you vote into office. Knowing this truth, you are free to be critical for the sake of the gospel. You are free to look at yourself and identify ways that you have fallen short of loving your neighbors and your enemies. You are free because you can rest in the gospel. You are free to be critical of the institutions that you are a part of like your household and your church, and how you can better live out the gospel in those institutions. Because your salvation is assured, because you already have a king, you can be critical of your nation's history, your nation's leaders, your nation's systems, and your own political party. And you can ask how they can better serve God's people. You have freedom in Christ to live out your vocation as a citizen without baggage, without being tied to any political party as your identity. We participate in politics not for our own safety, security, and power, but for the sake of the gospel and to care for God's creation. Because Christ is your king, You are free to participate in your culture and your country without baggage and for the sake of the gospel. Amen?
Please pray with me. King Jesus, forgive us for worshiping our earthly masters, kings, queens, presidents, and leaders. Help us to respect them and obey them in a way that serves your good news. We may vote and scheme to put who we want in power, but you are responsible for all the powers of the earth. Work in and through them for your glory. King Jesus, help us to rest in your gospel and be joyfully and peacefully critical of ourselves, our institutions, our history, and our nation so that we can see ways that we can better serve your people in love and humility. King Jesus, Forgive us for the memes we share, the jokes we tell, the lies we spread in the name of our political baggage. Help us to fight the spiritual forces of evil, not our neighbors. Help us to care more about sharing the gospel than sharing our politics. King Jesus, continue to work in and through our culture despite its failures, just like you work in and through us despite our failures. Work through our vocation as citizens that, so that your name is glorified and your people are cared for. King Jesus, we wait the day of your return when all your nations, all your cultures, all your people, regardless of their political identity, will see their true identity in you and bow at your feet. Until that day, give us peace and rest that only comes from our true King. In your sovereign name we pray, amen.